Okay, welcome back to Firewall. I am your host, Bradley Tusk. I'm here today with Hugo Lindgren. It's a Tuesday episode. We're recording from PT Netware, which is our podcast studio down at 180 Orchard Street on the Lower East Side. Come by if you get a chance. So, a couple of things I want to talk about today. Uh, first, obviously, is the Trump indictment and the impact of it on the presidential race. Uh, second, I wrote a essay or column, or whatever you want to call it, last week on Medium about um, why you go to college doesn't matter. And caused a little bit of a stir, so we thought we'd talk about that. Um, third, there was a study that came out yesterday about the the finish and happiness, and I want to talk to Hugo about that a little bit. And fourth, Is that because I'm an expert in, in Scandinavia? You're more on the Sweden side than the true. Finnish side, yes. G- given that that rivalry, you know, <laughs> and the fucking Norwegians hate you. I know that for sure. Um, well, it's mutual. And then uh, we'll talk about woolly mammoth meatballs, and then I think some TV and book stuff. I am finally kind of got my head back into reading again, so I have a couple of novels I want to. Oh, good! I want to hear about this. But um, are you watching Secession? Are you up to date so with the two I, episodes? No. So I watched the first episode. I did not watch okay. last night. Lyle and I were watching uh, the NWA movie instead, straight out of Compton. Oh, um, that's for, like a few years old, right? That's like ten years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah but he, you know, as we we watched the Wu Tang show. There's there's only one episode. Yeah, left. we've talked about that quite a bit, and. Uh, so this was another 90s kind of cinematic rap coming together and story. And is that better coming or worse age. than the, than the uh, uh, Wu-Tang? I, I realize I like TV shows better than movies in general. But, you know, it's a, it's a good movie. It's, it a was, little, it, it's a little sanitized. Yeah, and it didn't hold like – it's interesting. I'd seen it once, really enjoyed it. Lyle really enjoyed it yesterday. I got bored the second time. Okay. Um, well, the good thing is the secession will be waiting for you. When yeah, you, when yeah, you, I'm excited to see it. Whenever. Okay, so – Although, let me just – one thing. Yes, because someone had asked me to summarize the first episode for them. Okay. And I said, kid desperately want Logan's approval and scheme for ways to not feel useless. Uh, Logan treats everyone like shit, but wishes he had his kid's love. They fight over some media properties, and then other people make cutting remarks. And that's basically what I realized. Every single episode of no. Succession is exactly the same. Well, well it is true. I, know, I, I felt the same way after watching the first one where I was like, wow, this really is Gilligan's Island. Like they can't get off the island. Yeah, you know, to like, the point where I'm kind of like, I did not enjoy the first episode, but I was like, it's fine. This is the last season. Yeah, I think that's true. I did. I I've always had an allergy to watching TV shows when they're kind of in the when they're like where Secession is now, when everyone's talking about it. like, it almost makes me not want to watch it. But yeah. I am watching this season, and committing to it has been pleasurable. I have to say, I, I like the first two episodes. Okay, and, and I, I I'm I'm all in. Cool, so whatever. For anybody, all right. So let's <laughs> let's start obviously with the 800 pound gorilla, which is sort of the Biden Trump thing. And I think there's sort of two things to talk about. One is this was actually before I was on a plane somewhere. Um, before the indictment, I was just playing around in my head with like all kinds of different scenarios uh, around the presidential and different things, permutations and all that. And I wrote it up and sent it to you, and you said let's talk about this on the podcast. Um, and then, of course, there's the indictment itself. So l- let me give you my premise and then kind of talk you through all the different go, go permutations. Right, go right so, so premise number one, if Trump is the Republican nominee, Joe Biden wins. Premise number two. Wait, so, so that's a premise. Oh, that's you, we're going to test that. That's not something. You it, these are the two things that I believe to be true. And then I'm going to throw 10 different things that could that could change the outcome. Okay, so so that is a statement of yes, your... Yes, I believe that in a rematch, Joe Biden will win okay. again. Okay, sorry to cut you off. And I also believe that if Trump loses the nomination, he will cause enough of a schism, schism within the Republican Party that Biden will win again, right? Okay. So I think either way, Biden wins again. Now let me get to all the reasons why that might not happen, Okay. right? So the, the first is 
the, the first two are actually the questions that normally are what's asked in the situation, which is, where's the economy and are we in a war, right? right. Typically speaking, until- Those are, those are the good ones, yeah. Right, until Trump, no incumbent president in history had ever presided over a decent economy, not had U.S. troops at war, and lost a, a re-election, right? Trump was the first one to do that. Um, and so if if depending on where the economy is, like right now, it's sort of like a four out of 10, I would say. We're not kind of in this deep recession that people predicted, but we're also not certainly in a bull market. Um, so we'll see where it is in, in 18 months or so. Um, but I would say if it is where it is today and inflation sort of stays where it is or goes down, I, I don't think voters are going to hold that against Biden too much. And the second would be, are we in a ground war anywhere? Um, you know, Ukraine may still be going by then. I think at that point, Americans will have lost interest in it completely if we haven't already. Um, and on Taiwan, yeah, look, if China does invade Taiwan before the presidential election, that certainly could shake things up, depending on whether the U.S. decides that they need to respond directly or not. I still, as listeners know, have this conspiracy theory that despite all the saber rattling, the U.S. and China kind of have a, a handshake deal that um, – the U.S. will build the um, microchip semiprocessor conductor plants. I just used way too many words to describe that. Um, <laughs> here in the U.S., we're in the middle of doing that. Congress allocated $42 billion for that. Once that happens, Taiwan's utility to the U.S. economy is significantly lower. And as a result, whatever happens to Taiwan matters less. I mean, I guess we'll have to talk about that again. I, I guess I see it kind of differently. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and doing a bunch of reading on the on the China stuff. I I feel like the bigger issue is the one with with the with the other allies in the in the region. Yeah. Um, but whatever. That's. I know. I, I get that. And look, you could also time. look at it and say, China might say just like Putin has, we want to really influence the impact the uh, outcome of the U.S. election, and so they might decide. We will invade in September or October of 24, um, either to hurt or to help Biden. Right? I don't even know what they will decide at that moment is in their interest. It'll partly depend sure on the Republican like they want to help him, but I, I don't think so. But but let's say it's DeSantis. They might decide that Biden's the more predictable. Or let's say it's Trump, and they say, you know what? They're both old guys. They're both sort of at least sort of openly, you know. Um, hostile to China, but Biden is extremely predictable. Trump is extremely unpredictable. Um, let's go with the devil we know. I guess the other way of looking at it is that Trump likes to talk the talk, but not necessarily walk the walk. And what what the Biden administration has done is some things that, like, you know, I think Trump would have liked to have done or thought about doing, but didn't do. Yeah. Um, and too, therefore, too incompetent. Or, yeah. or by the way, that just gets back to also the basic premise of, you know, we who are not Trump supporters love to sort of take everything that goes wrong in his world and blame it on a personal failing of his. I just saw a car go the wrong way down Orchard Street. Um, <laughs> nothing happened, I guess. Uh, Did it look sorry. like a police car? No, it was like a van. It was very weird. Because um, I was like, wait, doesn't Orchard go up? And then it went down. So there, there's that. But the other problem is, and look, we've talked about this in relation to lots of different forms of government, which is it's just hard to execute in government if you don't have talent, right? And a, a lunatic idiot like Trump couldn't attract any talent to his administration, which meant they just, so even stuff that they might have wanted to do, they just couldn't do, right? And so I think that that we always have this sort of cult of personality in the US where it's all around the leader and they're great or they're terrible. And the reality is the most important thing 99% of the time is whether or not they can recruit and retain other talent. Right. We'll get to your next issue so, because this is obviously- So the good. next one is- There's like a whole bunch of elephants in the yeah, room. Yeah, yeah, let's get that. So is, is Biden compass right? So- I like your use of the Latin. Thank you. I've, I've been working on that. Um, so 
the premises, again, were Biden wins if both if Trump is the nominee or if Trump is not the nominee but urges his voters to stay home. But that assumes that Biden is no more out of it than he is today, right? Uh, the- do you think we know how out of it Biden is? I mean, do you do you fear that there's even I worse think he's, day-to-day? No, I, I, I don't because I feel like, you know, for example, I read the New York Post every morning. You know, they do everything they can to highlight the notion that Biden is completely out of it. Right. And they don't have that much. Right. right? And now, look, it might be that Team Biden, you know, one of their qualities is that they're very, very tight and, and stuff's not slipping through. You know, Reagan in the second term clearly had Alzheimer's. The cabinet even met uh, to discuss the 25th Amendment and whether to invoke that. Uh, and by the way, shows you how much more responsible government was 40 years ago. They actually were, they liked him, but they were worried like, oh, this person probably shouldn't be the president if he can't think. Um, and then Reagan was such a brilliant actor that the story is uh, he came in and basically just was able to fool them all, put the rebellion to rest, uh, and he was okay. Um, so I, I think Biden probably is okay, but look, he's really old, um, and he does sometimes say stuff that doesn't even mean that he has dementia, but like, for example, the classified documents, right, which, which I do, we'll talk about because it may come back to haunt him. You know, him saying it was different than Trump because it was in a locked garage with my Corvette. It's like, yeah, sure, the Chinese or Russians could never break into your locked garage, Joe, but <laughs> sometimes he just seems, forget about whether or not he's with it mentally, just so old and out of it. But he always had a little bit of the dumbass in him, don't you think? Like, he had that gear. Yeah, but, like, right. Keep in mind, this is a man who, for the first three times tried to run for president, lost, right? right. And, he and he, he like, won this time. For, like, self-inflicted reasons. Yeah, too, right? I think he won this time because I think they ran a good campaign in 20 and COVID and Trump and, like, a lot of other weird shit kind of came together to make it possible. But the point is, Biden has been his own worst enemy politically throughout his career, as you just said. If you combine that with him now really outwardly losing it, and and one point people have made that's a pretty good one is 2020, because of COVID, was actually perfect for Biden because he ran the entire campaign from his basement in Delaware, right? It was just over Zoom. It was like a fake campaign. Um, Presumably, this one's going to require him traveling to, you know, state after state after state. So um, does Biden have any legal issues, right? So- does Hunter Biden get indicted um, or on the document stuff, you know, as the Trump, the Washington Post this morning had a story about how there was new evidence about Trump obstruction on turning over the documents. And they tried very hard to contrast it to Biden. But the problem is they both did it. And even if Biden's is one percent as bad as, as Trump's, it doesn't matter. They're going to get, I think, stained with the same brush. So um, Biden legal issues. So now we get into Trump. So one is obviously indictments and if for what, right? So so we know that uh, he was indicted last week here in New York. I think there's a really open question as to whether or not politically um, that's ultimately going to be good for him or bad for him. There's an open question as to whether or not there, the, he, he, he will even be convicted in court, right? John Edwards had a relatively similar issue and won mm-hmm. um, in court. Um, but then January 6th, for example, um, you know, totally different ballgame. Whereas here, you know, I think Republicans and maybe some independents like this is kind of really ticky tacky bullshit that, you know, if this were not Donald Trump, he never would have been indicted for it. But all of a sudden, it's like inciting a, uh, a revolution to overturn the US government, different story, right? Or Georgia, right? Which is. Well, Georgia in- is the, the big one, right? Don't you it, think? Or do you it, think it's equal to Jan 6? I think it is the big one in the sense that it's a serious crime that he clearly is on tape and could be convicted for. 
I still think because election conspiracies are so alive and well uh, on the Republican side, I don't know that it will change many Republican views about Trump. It might have an impact on independence. I think when you're getting into armed insurrection and a coup d'etat, that starts to raise questions among most people, even <laughs> even hardcore Republicans, right? Okay. So, so what is the indictment for? Um, is he alive? Right, because the best thing that could ever happen to the Republican wow, you're Party. Moving, you're moving through a lot of territory. So now we're on to Trump. Just health. Is he uh, yeah, alive? this I have to say, I didn't organize this in a particular list, but but no, but if he's the best thing for Ron DeSantis or for the Republicans overall is that he drops dead today. Because here's the problem: if he stays alive, one, he's getting all the attention. Two, the Republican candidates are all stuck in this sort of weird limbo where they have to sort of. Even though they want to get rid of him, they have to at the same time support him in his legal fights and everything else. Um, and then if Trump loses the nomination, we already know he's not capable of being like, oh, yeah, I've lost fair and square. It was a good fight. Everyone vote for the nominee. He's going to say, I was stolen from me and everyone on my side should stay home. Right. And so, you know, if that happens, the Republican nominee, if, if, if Republican turnout in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Georgia is 10% less because some Trump voters stay home because Trump told them to. Um, that's probably the the margin of victory for Biden. Can, can, can we go back to him dying for one second? Well, so I'm saying, the best thing that could happen to the right. Republican Party is him dropping dead today. And can't you wait for the like spectacular move of Donnie Jr. stepping up to the plate? You ready for that? He's t- he's Fred- You know he's going to try. Yeah, Fred- Fred- try. Fredo's not going to win the nomination. <laughs> so, um, so, so Trump alive. The next one is... Um, could Trump somehow not be Trump and actively and genuinely support the Republican nominee if it isn't him? So all in zero case, chance, except okay. with one permutation. So if you're indicted or if you're convicted of a federal crime, the U.S. president can pardon you for that crime. Right. If it's a state or local crime, the U.S. president could not. So the thing here in New York, local; Georgia, local. But classified documents, January sixth federal, if Trump thought, okay, the only way I'm going to stay out of jail for this is to get a pardon from Youngkin, DeSantis, Haley, whoever it might be, um, then he might be incentivized to to try to help them or at least not hurt them. Do, do you think that people want Donald Trump in jail? Like, I mean, obviously people on the far left do. Just the far left. No, like, like per, I mean, he, I, don't, I don't like Trump at all. I don't really want him well, in jail. Well, I just well, want well, him- yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get to this, but the reality is I certainly don't want him in jail here in New York City. Right. Like, I, I, you know, we'll talk about I'm, I'm closing. I'm closing my office tomorrow at a, at a security concerns. So, um, no, I, I certainly wouldn't want him here. And if he does get convicted of this stuff, it's certainly not going to be in a supermax in Colorado. It's, it's going to be like in the detentional center in Brooklyn, you know. Um, so I, I, no, I definitely don't want that. But I think, you know, people on the far left who are just so rabid about it, they do. And then the, the last permutation here would be or one of the last is. Um, how actively can Republican secretaries of state and election officials try to either mess with the results or suppress turnout? Um, you know, clearly there's going to be a lot of effort to do so. Um, uh, the good news is a lot of Trump's candidates for secretaries of state in 2022 did not win. But I saw in the paper this morning that already this legislative session, 150 bills to change election laws generally to sort of further restrict them have been introduced um, in different states. And so we know the attempts will be there. You know, will any of them succeed? And then there's a corollary on the Democratic side to the Trump situation, which is, let's say Biden can't run. He dies. He's just too, you know, infirm, whatever it is. Harris is going to say, I'm the vice president. I should be the nominee. There shouldn't be any question about this. Um, and then 
the Democratic Party gets stuck in a situation where they're like, well, she's wildly unpopular. If we just give her the nomination, she's probably going to lose. But if you challenge her, um, she's going to say, and she's not totally wrong, this is racism and sexism, right? So how does that play out in real in in, in real life? Like, he, he, yeah. like who, who's, here's, Wait, who's, the, who's in the meeting where they talk about that? Well, put it this way. Um, the meeting is really the other 20 potential candidates for the nomination of the Democratic side and their advisors, right? So Gavin Newsom is the only person so far who's been, who's, who's accidentally caught on tape at a fundraiser saying, if Biden's not running, I'm in, right? right? But the reality sure is- the Biden administration loved that. Yeah, there's 10 other governors and senators. I feel exactly and, the same way. Yeah, tw- yeah, tons of them. But what they need is someone to be the first mover. And then what happens, 20 of them will sort of like sheep file in right behind them. So the question becomes, Let's say that that happens. And let's say Harris does not win the nomination. There's no reason to think she will because she didn't even make it to Iowa last time around, right? And somehow she's only gotten more unpopular since. Um, Do black voters care, right? What if the same thing happens that we're talking about on the Trump side where 10% of hardcore Trump supporters stay home in a couple of key states? What if 10% of black voters stay home in a couple of key states? They're like, this is bullshit. You know, any white guy or whatever would have clearly just been given this opportunity and it was taken away from her because she's a black woman. I don't know. Uh, people in the Democratic Party that I've thrown this idea at have, have kind of poo-pooed it a little bit. Um, but I don't know. They, Look, they you, poo-pooed that they would stay home and that-, that- Yeah, oh, they're for us no matter what. But these are the same people who also always seem to think that Latinos and blacks have the exact same political perspective about the same way. And by the way- COVID vaccination, right? You know, I have friends who are African-American who did not get vaccinated because they genuinely felt like there was a long history of, of African-Americans literally being, you know, manipulated physically on with scientific experimentation and they didn't trust it. And, you know, I don't think that was the right call from a health perspective, but I understood it. So I don't think it's impossible to think that. Now, again, you can play even more permutations and say, well, what if she's, what if the nominee is a different African-American? What if it's Cory Booker or Michelle Obama or someone like that, maybe, right? Um, but but I do think that to say that there's no chance of that being a problem um, would, would be silly, right? And so I, I think you've just got all of these different permutations that are totally fascinating. Um, we won't know how all of them play out literally until after the election, because then there'll be all this attempts on suppression and fucking with the vote and everything else. So this is at least a 18 to 20 month process here. Um, but look, I think in many ways, the, the Trump indictment kicks it off even more so than when whatever Biden formally reannounced. I think it's supposed to be in a couple of weeks. Um, and here we are, man. So it's, so, so it's let's, nothing else. It's fun. Let's indulge in, in, a, in a little bit of speculative yeah. fun here. Um, let's imagine that mobile voting is enacted between now and the 2024 election, sure. which not despite happen, all sure. your best efforts, it's not going to happen. Not, I'm not even trying to get it. Right exactly. yeah. But let's say it is. And it, it does... It, it achieves your long-term goal of moderating the political process mm-hmm. so that the whack jobs on both sides don't dominate it. Yeah. Um, who are the two candidates in 2024? If you were just if you were looking for like a true um, a, a true fight between like decent good politicians who really have their party's interests at heart, who aren't you know egomaniacs um, like Trump or or others. Who are the two? Like, if you could just have I mean, the I perfect twenty twenty four race. I, mean, I think I think what you're saying is a fallacy. It's like this is like the people who love to show the West Wing. Like, <laughs> th- they are all, in my view, desperately self loathing and secure people that can't let the validation. Right, but you look, finish. Okay, go ahead. And, and so the question isn't these are better human beings. It's 
who is more centrist and less sort of ideologically extreme. Yeah. That I can answer yeah, a question yeah. okay. for. That's, I guess that's a, that's a good, so better way of putting it. Different. And that is what I mean. I don't mean like, yeah, oh, but in terms of better have, people, like heroic people. Yeah, I don't know if, if there's 30, let's assume that Biden's dead. And so 30 people combined run for the Republican Democratic nomination. I don't know that any of them are better human beings than the others, right? They're all equally sort of selfish and ambitious and, and desperate. Um, some of them just might be more centrist in their political views. Right. So on the Republican side, it seems like- I don't like, think I said good people. Did I? That was the way I-, I uh, Okay. It. But anyway. um, Youngkin of the people who seem to be running um, would be one. Um, I don't think Hogan from Michigan is going to be a viable candidate, but but theoretically, he could be that. Charlie Baker, uh, who was the governor of Massachusetts, theoretically, he could be that. So that's on the Republican side. On the Democratic side, Gretchen Whitmer, maybe, governor of Michigan. Um, you know, uh, you had a bunch of senators run last time, and uh, and they were all kind of total flameouts, and there's no one really that that's particularly exciting in my view um yeah maybe jv pritzker in illinois but but i'm not sure um i would not say gavin newsom i think he's just too inculcated in california politics and it's way too far left wing um i don't think some of the other big state governors on the democratic side are really viable candidates or qualified candidates um and so i i don't know i'll i'll go with uh whitmer and youngkin okay good a um, few other notes on the Trump thing, and then we'll go to other topics. And this is going to be a little bit of a longer podcast today. Um, one is, as always, the cover-up is worse than the crime, right? The reality is nobody gives a fuck if Trump had sex with Stormy Daniels or not, right? It wouldn't have affected his election one way or the other. Wait, is there any doubt that he didn't have sex with Stormy Daniels? No, my point is that instead of paying $130,000 and covering it up and all of that— the reason they yeah, did that right. was they thought that they were they were preventing a negative political ramification. What was the timing of this? Was this before or after the whole like entertainment tonight? Before it was before, before. because after they before that like, came oh, out, right? What's, what's the difference, yeah, right. right? And the reality fact, is, this, this one almost seems right innocent, right? Something that was my point. Something much worse came out and didn't really have an impact anyway, right? So like one is as always, cover up worse than the crime. Two, uh, Derek Thompson on his podcast was talking about how. Trump has been under criminal investigation on and off since the 1970s. So for 50 years now, this guy has lived with what a normal person would say, the extreme stress uh, of potentially going to jail. So I, I've only ever been a witness in trials, but I've been this a couple of it times now. Wildly stressful, right? I don't know, when the Blagojevich thing happened, the FBI agents told my lawyers he knew anything wrong. And I was still scared, right? Yeah. Um, and so... Either one of two things, either if if I just think about what the impact on me was like all those different times, if I had that for 50 years, I'd be literally fucking certifiably crazy right now because the stress of that would have absolutely blown everything else out of my mind. Or to not have that means you have to be a sociopath in the first place. Well, he must. it must be something that he needs, right? I mean, it, it, like, like if he couldn't handle it. Well, I mean, just that 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 kind of wake up in the morning and he's got to fight. You know, it's like it's like he if he if he woke up in the morning and nobody was after him, maybe he wouldn't feel like a human being. I mean, I don't know. Well, I, if that I, were the case, why would you pay off Stormy Daniels? Probably because he got talked into it. So, so some advisors were like, oh, this is going to be really bad. You know, we better do this or that. I mean, it's hard for him to imagine like him. think Well, I mean, also, like, look, people have all these little tiny things. They worried about their marriages and worried about the, this or that. You know, it's like. That, that it looks like they're bulletproof and they don't care about yeah. stuff like that, but they do. You know? I, I, yeah, I guess my point really is that that's fair. Is that 
just having experienced this a little yeah, no, bit. I, look, I 50 understand. years of yeah. this, I just, it's unimaginable to me, yeah, yeah, which yeah. would more say to me, he is genuinely a sociopath, um, yeah. which okay. actually explains a lot more. Fair point. Um, Fair point. I do think that we are potentially now running to a world where you're going to start seeing politicians on both sides of the aisle get indicted for nonsense all the time, right? I'm sure that there are Republican prosecutors in, you know, heavy red districts that are looking at Biden and Schumer and Pelosi, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is. Because look, what Bragg's thing here is you can't be much more liberal than New York City. Bragg is a, I don't believe that criminals are actually criminals. I think they're victims of, you know, institutional discrimination is his typical worldview. So um, you can't get more left-wing than Alvin Bragg. You can't get much more left-wing than New York City. Um, and so it's not that Trump shouldn't have been indicted for this stuff. You know, it, I, it seems like he's guilty of it. But it is that it's hard to imagine that there's not sort of the corollary on the other side being cooked up as a speech. Except, except doesn't this play so perfectly into Trump's, I mean, like if he wanted to invent a, an enemy, like Alvin Bragg is just, just the perfect one, right? He's yeah. just for all the reasons you just said. So it's like, I know other prosecutors are looking like, oh, wow, that tough Alvin Bragg, like he really stood up and did the right thing, yeah. you know? But but here's the thing. So they're not, I had this debate with my political consultant text thread over the weekend, which is, this could work out well for Trump and for, so for Bragg to work out well, he has to win the case, right? If he loses the case, he's a laughing stock. But let's assume he wins the case and Trump doesn't even go to jail, right? It's, it's a miss, you know. Well, he won't, right? I'm not right, a mess. Right. So Bragg, because he lives in one world, as long as he doesn't lose the case, is this historic national figure right. who indicted the first indictment ever of a, of a president. Um, and is a hero of the left, and kind of no matter what, whether he's the Manhattan DA for the next 50 years, like Morgenthau was, or whether he does something else in a year, you know, he sort of did, in his mind, achieve this historic thing, and Trump could also still benefit from this politically at the same time. So, you know, if you're a super ambitious prosecutor in Waco, Texas, or whatever it is, I, I don't know that, tr and you were really politically astute, the attacks on Bragg, you might say, you know what, they're all coming from the right. So if the attacks on me would come from the left. Who gives a fuck? Um, it's worth it. So I, I do think that the incentive is there um, for prosecutors. And the final thing is just, I'm worried about what's going to happen in, in New York City tomorrow when you guys are hearing this today. Um, I'm closing my office and I think I am probably uh, overreacting. And well, but it's, I mean, I, I think it's a prudent thing in that. It doesn't involve changing anything about the business. So it's, no, it's and like work from home, obviously, we've established already. And here's my view. Um, because whoever I talked to, everyone I asked, is this a good idea? Every single person said no. Oh, really? Yes. And here's why I'm doing it anyway, other than the fact that once everyone tells me no, right, that exactly. I'm like, extremely oh, okay, fucking high. Right. right. <laughs> um, putting that childish thing aside, um, yes, it seems on paper very unlikely that anything crazy will happen, right? But you know what? No one thought he was going to get elected, and he did. No one thought he would behave the way he did throughout his entire presidency, and he did. Yeah. No one thought January 6th would happen, and it did. So it seems to me that the laws of gravity and reality don't apply when it comes to Donald Trump. Um, January 6th, people did die. It was very violent. And I have to say, what really scares me here is I think that the crazies who come are aware that the NYPD is a lot is a lot tougher of an opponent than the Capitol Police, but they're going to come prepared, and all you really need is one lunatic with an assault rifle opening up fire, 
and people could get really hurt uh, or die. And our office is near Union Square. I've lived kind of like you, uh, near Union Square most of my adult life. Crazy shit happens there, yeah. you know? And, and protests almost frequently start at Union Square and kind of march in one north or south from there. And so you could easily see pro or anti-Trump protests starting in Union Square. And again, one lunatic pulls out a gun, who the fuck knows what's going to happen? So what are you going to do tomorrow? Are you just going to have a normal day work from home? Or are you going to like, yeah, I'll, gonna, I'll, gonna I'm actually down to the courthouse. And just- no, no, I'm actually here at the, we have like a bunch of podcasts oh, we do. tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. So I'm actually here. I think I might just mainly work from the bookstore, but I said to Julie over the, yesterday, I said, listen, you know, I close the office cause we happen to be right next to Union Square. And that right. makes me a little nervous depending on how shit goes, we may have to close the bookstore too. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, hard to imagine it being spread all over the city. With, but no, but with that said, we're only a 10-minute walk to the Manhattan Courthouse from here. Yeah. Right? 15. Yeah. 15, yeah. I mean, we're, we're all the way downtown. Now, we're like, it's funny because New Yorkers so in their head compartmentalized neighborhoods are like, yeah. oh, the Lower East Side is totally different than Lower Manhattan. But anyone looking at a map would be like, you're in that area, right? Um, okay, we, um, we we probably need to pivot now. Yeah, I think we, we do. do. One of our hard pivots. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was good though, Bradley. That was a lot of fucking like material that we just you know raced through. It was good. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> um, do you want to do you want to talk about the um, the essay you wrote? I'll about talk about that quickly. I mean, I mean I, one of the things I would just yeah. say is that I mean we should talk about it, but people should just read it because it's it's a little different than other. Uh, essays on this subject because you really go through your career and, and really look at yeah. the impact. And I think that's one of the most interesting aspects. We, we, we have four topics to cover left. What I would say, let's just go through them pretty quickly okay. and knock them all off. So the, the first one would be where you go to college. So here's the backstory, which is um, a couple of weeks ago, the Princeton Student Entrepreneurs Club came to my office to meet with me about what it's like to be a venture capitalist. They had no idea what they were in for. Right. And so, and, and, I walk into the meeting in a bad mood because I felt like uh, I had been lied to about funding for school meals for New York. I felt like if I got it in the legislative budgets, then everyone would agree to keep it in. And now that's not the case. So I was really pissed off already, kind of like losing my shit. And I walk into this room and look, Princeton is sort of especially annoying, right? There's just something about Princeton that I find particularly irritating. Um, But... Nonetheless, I go in and I've got 45 minutes and I was very clear and that they knew that's how much time I had. So like, first, we're all going to go around and tell you about ourselves. And I said, no. I said, listen, there's 25 of you. If you each talk about yourself, it's going to suck up more than half the time that we have. I'm not going to remember anything you tell me in, in five minutes anyway. You came here to get my thoughts on things. Let me give them to you. Um, so they're already annoyed because how dare you take these extra special people who go to Princeton and, and not want to hear their life story, Right. Um, so then they're asking their questions and they're, you know, they're fine. Um, I'm, I'm in fair, I guess in fairness to them, I'm in a shitty mood. And then one of them says, and it's funny cause she asked a good question and she didn't ask it in a particularly annoying way. You know, what career advice do you give your kids? And I said, look, you know, it's a really good question. Actually, my daughter is in the 11th grade right now. We're going through the college process. We're going to go look at schools and, you know, in a week or two, this was right before spring break. Um, And here's my advice to her. It doesn't fucking matter where you go to college makes no difference whatsoever. The looks on their faces, this was the worst thing anyone had ever said to them in their entire lives. They were so horrified. And I get it, right? Because their entire lives, other than maybe some like super rich, lucky sperm club prick who got seized and still got into Princeton somehow, but the rest of them, their entire lives were based around 
you, where you go to college is absolutely everything. And everything you do between the ages of zero and 18 are solely designed to maximize your chances of admission to Princeton and nothing else. Everything they've ever worked for, believe in, here's this guy who's doing a job that they aspire to potentially do, telling them, yeah, actually, none of it matters at all, right? Their entire identity, their entire self-worth is tied up in this thing. And they're being re- this is being reinforced to them every day when they're on campus. So you're so special. You're here at Princeton. And then, of course, you know, they believe that their future career will be more successful because they went to Princeton. And here I am telling them it's all bullshit and none of it matters. So, you know, the meeting that ends sort of awkwardly. Um, and I was thinking about it. And then the next day I wake up and there's an email from one of the students, which I had no problem someone sending me. It's basically saying, um, oh, you know, well, you're kind of a hypocrite because you went to Ivy League schools and you teach in an Ivy League business school and, you know, it's really easy for you to say all of this now, but the reality is your own experience contradicts what you said. It was like, what was it? Was it a nicely? No, no, it was, a, it was the self-righteous 19-year-old, you know, kind of thing. Fine, whatever, right? And I wrote back a nice response. Um, but uh, I thought, okay, let's, let, let's give her the benefit of the doubt. So I went through every job I've ever had from my first job out of college through where I am today. So that included... Um, two stints at the New York State Parks Department, uh, Chuck Schumer's office, Mike Bloomberg's office, Deputy Governor of Illinois, Lehman Brothers running Mike Bloomberg's campaign, and then everything since then, which has been my businesses. So Touch Strategies, Touch Venture Partners, Touch Philanthropies, Mobile Voting, Solving Hunger, uh, P&T Knitwear, teaching, writing, podcasting, all that other stuff. And what I tried to do in every single case was say, okay, I know the reality of how these things each turned out. I know the players that were involved in deciding whether to hire me and then to manage me in the first place. How much did where I went to school matter to them, right? And I really went through analytically, you know, job by job. At least what I concluded from my life is not very much, right? Um, It's not to say that I didn't have, like, for example, Chuck Schumer does believe in academic pedigree. went to Harvard, went to Harvard Law School. He got a perfect score in the SATs. He'd be happy to tell you that. Um, within 30 seconds of meeting him. However, Chuck cares more about attention for Chuck than anything in the world by far. And there was no way, let's say that, you know, okay, yeah, I went to these good schools, but I wasn't the the person most likely to get him Sunday press conference covered by six TV stations instead of four. He wasn't going to hire me, right? He hired me because he figured rightly, I think in this case, this guy's going to get me a lot of press. Um, and if I had gone to different schools, but he still felt that way, I, I think I still get the job, right? Um, Mike Bloomberg has no fucking idea where I went to Colorado. I didn't give a shit, right? It has nothing to do with it. Um, you know, all the businesses that I've built, we've talked this before, I think most of the success has been on hustle and scrappiness and instincts and street smarts and hard work and risk tolerance and, and sales ability, um, not like there's not some network from college and law school that I had. That, well, like, well, let me ask you a question. Uh, so, so given all that, um, what advice would you give to you in, if you were, if you were Abby's age? Um, so, so would you say rather than go to the university of Pennsylvania and university of Chicago law school, you go to SUNY Binghamton and save some money or Cardoza law school or not go to college at all. Or like if you, yeah, good knowing, question. Knowing what so you know. what, what, knowing what I know now, I would not have gone to Penn. Um, because it was the worst possible environment, right? It was the most broy, fratty, like all about like, you know, what color Jaguar they're going to get when, when they get their bonus when they're 25 or whatever it is. Um, I would have definitely gone to the University of Chicago Law School because I loved it because it was so, I picked it for the right, I picked Penn for the wrong reason. I picked Penn 
because I knew people who went there from high school and they seemed to like it. And it was really important to my mom that I go to an Ivy League school and Penn especially. And it was about, you know, of course, her own ego, her own need to impress her friends, whatever it was, not me. But when you're 17, you don't have the ability to sort of understand all of these things in the way you do when you're 49. Penn was the absolute wrong school for me. Not to say that I didn't have some good experiences there and I still have some good friends from there and everything else. Um, I picked Chicago because it was the hardest law school in the country. And I knew that I wasn't going to practice law. So my view is if I'm going to take out all of these loans and spend a couple of years studying this stuff, I better get a great fucking education because I don't actually plan to use it for my career itself. So I still would have gone to Chicago, um, would have gone to a different college, whether it was SUNY Binghamton or Columbia or, or something else. I don't know, but certainly one that would have been at least a culturally a better fit um, for me. And that gets into sort of the, what am I telling Abby, right? So to my daughter, actually, she asked the other day that I refer to the podcast as Abigail. So, um, cause she read the the piece that she was, I was right. talking about her in it. Um, she and I just looked at schools in Boston and DC and we've looked at schools in LA and New Orleans as well. Um, and what I am, you know, so pleased is her evaluation is totally based on, does this place feel right to me? Are they, are they good at the things that I am interested in? In her case, it's studio art and visual art and writing. Um, do, do I get a vibe that these are the kind of kids that I'd want to hang out with? In her mind, it's, are they interesting? So, for example, we looked at Boston College, not for her, right? Like, it, I'm sure it's a wonderful school for many people, but it's a very homogenous place um, and totally turned her off completely. Uh, American University wasn't wasn't that different. Um, so... Uh, What's so great about Abby or Abigail, she doesn't give a shit what a school is ranked. She doesn't care how procedure is supposed to be. She doesn't care where her friends want to go. She doesn't care what her parents think. She genuinely understands that this thing is, A, not particularly important in the big scheme of things, and B, the only decision is where do I think I will fit in the best and sort of enjoy it the most, in, in not just sort of partying, but like, you know, intellectually, academically, all these different things, Um and that's the decision she's going to make based on where she gets in, obviously. We'll have to see what, what her options are. But, uh, you know, the last line of the essay was, I couldn't be prouder. And, and I really feel that way, which is, um, I think that she truly gets much more what matters and what doesn't matter. And it's going to make her a happier person throughout her life. Um, why don't you just close with a recommendation? We'll get to the the, the Finland study next week. Okay, um, sure. Because I think I think we covered a lot of ground. I think that was good. Yeah. Um, and um, you, you mentioned that you've been reading. Yeah, that. so I, I had a, we talked about this last week on the podcast, which was that I was really struggling to, to read for a while. I just couldn't read the newspapers, I couldn't read books. And I've made a little bit of a rebound, read three books over the break. Um, they're all pretty easy novels. So it's not like I was reading Tolstoy and challenging myself <laughs> quite a bit, but, but I like them all. So uh, one is called The Mostly True Story of Tanner and Louise by Colleen Oakley. Um, really kind of a half, it's kind of like about an 83-year-old woman and a 22-year-old woman, and they kind of have a Thelma and Louise-esque adventure. So it's sort of both coming of age and end of age, and I thought it was really clever. Um, another one called American uh, Mermaid by Julia Langbean. And what was particularly cool about this was it's, a, it's about a, a novel and then her turning it into a screenplay and it alternates between excerpts from the novel American Mermaid, which obviously is fictional, right. um, and then her efforts turned to screenplay and how the two kind of come together. And it's what, what really impressed me was each time I got to the next chapter and it alternated, it wasn't always exactly on, on or off, but I was sort of happy, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I kind of wonder what's happening in that. 
And then the third was called City of Angels by, my eyes are now too small to read the tiny cover here, uh, Jonathan Leaf, um, City of Angels. And it was just sort of a Hollywood noir mystery type book, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I did try to read one more substantive book uh, called Unscripted, which is by James Stewart and Rachel, again, I can't, it looks like yeah, we, a, a buy. Um, and it, we planned on maybe reading that as a kind of a, a sign, mutual assignment for here and about Sumner Redstone. And I read about it's it. It's Rachel Abrams. Rachel Abrams, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I can't, uh, I couldn't get through it, man. I got about 80 pages and here was the problem I had. I hated it. And the reason why is he's despicable, but he also wasn't that interesting. Right. right. And like you can have a despicable lead character if they're fascinating. Right. Or you could have someone that that you are impressed by and interested in. And, and that's why you want um, to, to read about it. And I think either it's one of two things. Either they chose the subject poorly or more because I've read other stuff by James Stewart that was much better than no, this. He's one of the best. Yeah. Is, you know, the cultural changing norms and mores ruined his writing in the sense of now we live in a world where it's all good or all bad and you can't write a balanced story about someone who's both good and bad you know they just have to show in every single word this rich man is terrible now he was terrible right <laughs> but as a result it, there was no nuance there was no gray there was nothing interesting it was just like yeah i guess if you just want to read for three or four hundred pages how someone who doesn't, you know, is not your political, you know, agreement is terrible. Sure. But it's really fucking boring and pointless. So I have to say I was quite disappointed. Okay. So we're going to talk next week about the book that we're going to read together because we have some options. Yeah. Or the one we already, I tried the one we started. It was really boring. This is, we have, we have a nonfiction problem, which is most nonfiction to me is boring. Have you, I, I'm interested in that book, Chip Wars. Have you, have you, um. No, we'll check out the, the one that I tried was Moore's Law. Gordon Moore yeah. just passed away. He right? did just pass away. And, and his, his, Obituary was fascinating. Yeah, it was. Right? And yeah. Moore's Law is a, a well, well known thing. Well, that. he's in Chip Wars, obviously. He's a yeah. major figure in microchips. All right, so and, let's, let's and I, and I think take a look at that. Yeah, it's supposed to be really awesome. Cool. All right, we'll talk about the woolly mammoth meatballs and the finished definition of happiness next week. See you later, Brad. See you.